Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. On this week's episode of White Wine Question Time. 60 million downloads later, you are the Anton Deck of audio. What the hell's happened? Well, me and Rory Stewart rather than me and Grace. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I honestly don't know, really, because I find it a bit weird. Hands up. I'm a very, I've always been very competent in politics. If I see a Tory opponent there, I'm going to go for them. Yesterday, when Sunak put out his ridiculous message to the lionesses to the, oh my god you know you left nothing out there i mean that i mean oh <laughs> like if i had a go did and, you have to go out and have a bike ride to get rid of the um, the anger and frustration alistair when we won the election in 1997 i'll never ever get really get over the fact i didn't enjoy it <laughs> how could you not it was like, this is stressful, there's too much going on, there's too much noise, what the fuck do you want? I've got to <laughs> get out of my way. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week has swapped out first the corridors of Fleet Street for the corridors of power at the heart of Tony Blair's government and is now trailblazing the corridors of podcasting alongside co-host Roy Stewart on the UK's number one podcast, The Rest is Politics. The show's success is, well, frankly, astounding. In the 18 months since its launch back in March 2022, it's been downloaded more than 60 million times and half of its audience are under 34. Their live shows have sold out at the Royal Albert Hall and their upcoming show at the London Palladium sold out in under seven minutes, faster than the Foo Fighters. As plot twists and life tangents go, it's pretty epic and in many ways ironic. I mean, having spent years in politics trying to reach young or apathetic voters, he's fast become their new political hero at the grand age of 66, with millions hanging on his and Rory's every word as they break down and disagree agreeably 
about the political events of the day. Born in West Yorkshire, he describes his childhood as very James Herriot. Bright and sporty, he enrolled at Cambridge University in 1975 and studied in France for a year where he had his first pieces published, writing pornography for Forum magazine under the pseudonym Riviera Gigolo. True story. His career in journalism started in earnest when he joined the Mirror Group newspapers as a trainee where he met his partner, Fiona Miller, who he shares three grown-up children with. His rise from local newspapers to flagship title The Daily Mirror was fast and furious and he was appointed eventually political editor. Then in 1994, a call from Tony Blair came and it changed his game. He was asked to reshape Labour's story to help propel them to power and became director of comms following a landslide election victory. For almost half a decade, he remained at the heart of government. But the 2003 invasion of Iraq brought about his resignation as Downing Street spokesman amid accusations that he'd sexed up MI5's dossier on the threat Iraq posed to justify the invasion. Since then, he's continued in his role as an advisor, be it to Gordon Brown or Ed Miliband, as well as French President Emmanuel Macron and the Albanian Prime Minister. He's also written extensively, 18 books no less, covering his years in politics via his extensive diaries and now his latest brainchild, But What Can I Do? A book that deep dives our broken political system and offers up some solutions. Now, this is his second time on the show. The first time he came on, he was with his daughter, Grace. And back then, the rest of his politics was but a twinkle in his eye, so there is a lot to catch up on. And he's even made time to do this while he's on holiday in France. Let's dial him in, shall we? It's Alistair Campbell. How are you, sir? Bonjour, ça va? Bonjour, ça va très bien, et toi? Ah, bien, bien. Having a lovely time over there, cooking in France. Yeah, it's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. I've just been out on the bike. Um, it's interesting, when I go on the bike, when it's really hot, I went out the other day, and Fiona, my partner, she's got this thing where she started calculating the heat in Fahrenheit, not centigrade, Ooh. going back to the old days. And yesterday it was 101. Ooh. And I went out on the bike, which was probably a bit crazy. Yeah. And I was out when I was 93. Yeah. So, hot. I foresee a time when we operate by night and sleep by day just to beat the heat. Well, I, oh, yeah, presuming we're all still here and the world's still here. I mean, if you, I used to think that whole thing about the Spanish eating really, really late was just kind of weird. But, you know, you, you get it now, don't you? Have get a big it. nap. <laughs> yeah, and, and the heat literally knocks you off your feet and you have to have the siesta. Or maybe yeah. you're just old. Mm, well, I'm 66. How old are you? 50. So you're not old. <laughs> you're just I older. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I don't feel I'm old. I don't but feel I, I'm old. I did start my career literally bringing you tea, Alistair. So there is, you know, there is some kind of gap there. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I still remember with great fondness, by and the way. Nice tea. Well, you know, seeing as I don't drink it and you didn't spit it in my face, I think I did quite well. You were far more receptive than Anne Robinson ever was. <laughs> and he has a certain way. Yes, that's yeah. polite. I think you're even more polite than Rachel Riley on that one. Um, now, listen, since we last spoke, you came on with Grace. You had your own podcast. You were enjoying the podcast space. And then I blink, I turn around. 60 million downloads later, you are the Anton Deck of audio. What the hell's happened? Well, me and Rory Stewart rather than me and Grace. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. 
Thank you. I honestly don't know, really, because I find it a bit weird. Um, you know, yesterday, because I, I listened to a lot of German stuff, and yesterday I've, I've got these pod political podcasts I listened to in Germany, and I was on the bike yesterday, and I thought, I've got to start listening to some new podcasts. So I, I just Googled um, highest-rating German podcasts, right? Now, the ones in the UK are all about how to learn German, so then I had to sort of change the thing so they got the German ones coming yeah. through. And you got down to the, like, 30s and 40s and 50s before you got anything vaguely political. Are you kidding me? Yeah. There was all lifestyle and travel and food and sport and that sort of stuff. Whereas us, you know, we've been, like, we've been consistently number one. The rest is politics. And now the rest is politics leading, like, for over a year. Yeah. Um, You've never left the top five. No. It's really, really strange. It's, um, I mean, no. the irony I, is that you've spent most of your political life trying to reach apathetic or young or disenchanted potential voters. And yet here you are now at 66, almost like, almost Christ-like in their eyes, Alistair, with an incredibly young listenership. Half your audience is under 34. That is, you know, political Is that right? Gold. Do you know that? Yeah. Do you know that? I don't know that. It's what I've read and I've tried to fact check it as best that I can. So for well, full transparency... Only Goldhanger would know that. Yeah, but, but I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what was interesting is when we did the Albert Hall last year, I remember, again, Fiona and my daughter, Grace, they, they, they were sort of coming down out of the tube and I was already there. And they came in to see me in the dressing room and said, it's weird out there. It was like, you know, it was like going to a sort of pop concert. You know, it was like the, all these young people. And that definitely, I think we measured it, over a, over a third were under 30. It's not just so, that, though. You think about that night, right? So for a, for a start, your tickets sold faster than the Foo Fighters. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Secondly, all of those people came to see that show at the Royal Albert Hall when the show was a little over a year old. They came in heavy snowfall on a train yeah. strike day and you still filled the room. To watch two middle-aged white men discuss politics. Mm. I know. Uh, that's what I mean is I don't really understand it. Look, I could sort of, you know, I can, uh, I don't mind. I'm not brilliant with praise, to be honest. Um, but if I try and analyse it and I, I sort of analyse what people say to us, what people say to us is it's two people that they think of kind of, you know, been there, done it in different ways, still care about it, um, worry about it a lot and try to give people accessible understandable, grown-up discussion about it. That's what we try and do. I know that that was kind of the raison d'etre from the get-go. And I, I don't think you could underestimate how important that is by way of mm. the, the ingredient of success for the rest is politics. The fact that you can both disagree and clash agreeably. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, you know, like, and it's it's been quite a journey for me. I hate that word, but you know what I mean? It's been a bit of... Self-revelation, because I am a very combative person, and mm. I'm, you know, style in debate has always been, you know, bombastic. Just, and I've really sort of thought it through about whether it is the right way. And I did, um, because the other thing that's happened alongside it, 
was that, and, and it was totally coincidental because I'd already started, had this idea about writing a book about trying to generate more interest in politics and people get more engaged and particularly young people. And it's sort of, they've come at, they've come at the same time. And so there's, and that book went straight to number one. I actually had a period this, where- But what I, can I do? But what can I do? Yeah. 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 So it was number one in the charts while we were number one in the podcast charts while we were filling the Albert Hall. It was utterly mad. And I just, <laughs> I, I can't quite work it out. Um, and then, the, anyway, eventually, talking to the German podcast, I eventually found one. And it's called Gysi Gegen Gutenberg. And it's basically modeled on ours. It's a left wing no. guy, guy. And then while I was, so I listened to the first couple. And then, about their fifth one, they say, we've decided to do a Q&A. <laughs> they really have. They really so have th- ripped you off or reheated what? your format. Well, I don't know whether it's coincidence, but it's interesting. that, that And that was the, when I, when I got down, that they were about sort of low 30s in the charts, right? But they were the number one political podcast. You've really um, struck a chord. And I, I love that you can see now the learnings in sort of being less bombastic and more learned about listening because I think it's something we all need to do in a digital society where it's so polarized you guys have actually found an intelligent gray area that's neither black nor white it's a little bit of both and it's up for discussion Mm. we have to learn from that don't we I think so and I I think the politicians need to as well and the media do as well Mm. because you know why, why are why has this podcast kind of, you know, hit this mark that it has? Now, partly it's part of the, there's a whole thing about podcasting developing. People who weren't listening to podcasts even two, three years ago who now are. Yeah. But again, I think I think the mainstream media hasn't really caught on to that. Um, I, th- I, th- I think there's something about that feeling that politics has to be combative. And look, Hands up! I'm a very. I've always been very combative in politics. If I see a Tory opponent there, I'm going to go for them. Yesterday, when Sunak put out his ridiculous message to the lionesses, to the, oh my God! You know, you left nothing out there. I mean that. I mean, oh, like <laughs> if I had a go. Did and, you have to go out and have a bike know, ride to get rid of the um, the anger and frustration, Alistair? No, the anger and frustration. But I just thought. Oh. So I, I still will have a pop. But at the same time, I recognised, I, I had this, uh, I think the other thing that happened, it wasn't just talking to Roy Stewart. And we have, listen, we had quite a clash last week. We've had one or two, you know, real Northern set Northern Ireland. Twos. You've had a big Northern clash mm. um, But when I was doing, I, I was asked to do question time, BBC question time, rather than the rest is politics question time, a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it, it was the one where the whole audience were, had voted leave. And it was in Clacton. and yeah so actually i had a discussion on the podcast about whether people thought i should do it we're talking to rory about how to handle it blah 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 so i'd already decided i'm not going to be too combative anyway on the way there or sort of a couple of days before it happened i got an email out of the blue from a school teacher called abby and she said i see from the media you're going to clacton you're doing this brexit thing um I teach at a school in Clacton in one of the toughest parts of the country, one of the poorest parts of the country. We actually, our catchment area includes JREC, which is really, really sort of, you know, yeah, yeah. got quite poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't you come and have a look in on the way? So I thought, oh, okay, interesting year, get through. I've, the book was out. 
and you know i go and talk about that and try and get them engaged anyway i went there and I actually did a school in the morning in London, quite a kind of, it was a state school, but it was in quite a kind of, you know, it was a pretty good area and it was a very good school and what have you. And the kids were really engaged, etc. I would say the only difference when I got to the one in Clacton was that at the start, there was a kind of lack of confidence about coming forward. But as we got into it, they were really, really good. And I ended up, and I used this on the programme, I said, listen, I've got to know you a bit. Let's have a few votes. If there was a vote to go into the European Union tomorrow, who's going in and who's staying out? Mm. All but two. All but two are going in, right? And it was I was able to use that on the thing about, you know, okay, I respect you for what you did. You vote, you thought you're doing the right thing, but just understand your kids all think you're wrong, right? And they're the ones that are going to yeah. have to deal with the consequences. Exactly. Yeah. But there was a girl there called um, Annabelle. And when I was... I'd sort of I've been there for about an hour or so talking to them and I said, Right, okay, I'm going from here to do question time and it's they're all gonna be hundred percent audience voted leave. How shall I handle them? And they all sort of you know thought of it and then I said, Do you think I should trim my views? And this girl, Annabelle, she said, Don't trim your views. People won't respect you for that. No. Stick to your views but try to understand why their views are different. And then she said this, which I've used now, and I use it in the in the podcast as well. She said, try and persuade without criticising. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and, and I've, you know, I've, I've talked about that a lot because I just thought it, it sort of said something about what you hear most of the time on the media. And I've got to be honest, I barely watch the news anymore, partly because it's so depressing, partly, but it's just, it's formulaic. You know, here's a fact. Here's what somebody says about a fact. Here's what somebody else says about a fact. There's a different view. And here's a BBC or a, whatever, a Sky person coming on to sort of try and make sense of it all, right? Um, and then the sort of, you know, and, and I'll be honest, the reason I listen to German stuff a lot, other than the fact that I, I'm trying to sort of keep my German good, it's just more serious. They're more serious about stuff. And I just don't think we're very serious anymore. I don't think we're a serious country. But um, I think, I think that I'm... 60 million downloads, predominantly from men and women under 35, listening to two intelligent men who sit on very different sides of that's the political pond. Middle... That's an improvement from middle age, by yes, the way, but, intelligent. But, 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 and, and, you know, beyond middle aged, actually. Um, there you go. <laughs> I think that proves that we are a serious country, that you have found okay. the curious, and you've written this book that not only lays out where it all went wrong, which anyone can do, but you've also started to come up with, and here's what you can do. Here's some solutions. And you don't pretend to have all the answers, which must go against the grain, because that's exactly what you expected to have in office. But you're open to being the conductor of the orchestra that has the discussion. That seems to be where you are. And what a fascinatingly exciting place to find yourself, Alistair. Oh, that's a very nice way to put it. Um, I, it is. I mean, it's frustrating. It's very, very frustrating. I do find it very frustrating. Um, I think that I've always felt that it's important that if you think you can make a difference, you've got to try to make a difference. I still get lots and lots of people telling me that I'm selling myself short and I should do more and I should get back into politics and blah, blah, blah. Well, Rory Stewart thinks that you could become prime minister if you wanted to. Uh, he says that when Alistair wants something, he absolutely makes it happen. He's somebody who makes the world move around him. 
He could be Prime Minister if he wanted to very easily. He just needs to put his mind to it. No, I think he was speaking in the best sense. I, think he, think, I, think, <laughs> I don't think he was. Don't get out of it that way. Could have been. Um, I mean, look, you know, we talked last week, we talked about the Zimbabwe election. The president, the candidate for the presidency is 80, uh, Trump and Trump and Biden. But I, I You'd think be a I'm young man, enough, Alistair. You'd be a young man. I know. I know. I think I've got enough self-awareness to know it's not going to happen. <laughs> and therefore, quite like you are sort of conducting the orchestra thing. But therefore, you try and make a difference in different ways. And yeah. I, I say in the book that, I mean, I've got this sort of fantasy that on the day I die, yes. um, I... that there's going to be that whoever is prime minister the day I die, somebody whose name we don't yet know, is going to have this thumbed copy of But What Can I Do? And say, <laughs> that made me want to be prime minister. And then that will be... I'll it was his manual... Thing. To number 10, yeah. I think what I've, I've had some amazing letters and stuff. There. I got one yesterday. So I went with, um, I did a speech, an event recently at the House of Lords with Charles Walker, the Tory MP, both talking about mental health. And I was with, um, I was with somebody who was doing some work experience um, and we, we walked into the House of Lords entrance and there was this guy there who, very, very tall, taller than me, and he had a, this, I'm not saying this because it's important, it's just this is how I remember him. Very, very tall, and he had a prosthetic um, hand and wrist. Right. So we started talking, and he, he had this bag, and he said, oh, that's amazing bumping into you, love your podcast, and I've just bought your book in the shop down the road. Oh, thank you very much, I said. Had a chat about this, that, and the other. Um, and he emailed me yesterday, what was his name? James, I think it was. He emailed me yesterday, saying, I read your book on, on the way home and I finished it now that I'm back in Canada. Do you know what? I was actually thinking of giving it all up. I was thinking that politics is no longer for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But on the back of reading this book, I've decided I'm, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to try and help oh. politics, blah, blah. So, you know, and, and most of the people who maybe are being affected like that can by be affected. Some of them do tell you, right? I get lots of letters and emails of people saying stuff like that, but... That also means there's lots of people that maybe it's affecting positively you don't know about. Yeah. Including that yeah. one. Including that one. Gonna be there yeah. on the day I die. Yeah. And you know, I think I think that if enough people because I, 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 when I said earlier, not a serious country, you you rightly corrected me on that. There are a lot of serious people in Britain. But I think the combination of not having a serious politics at the moment. You cannot be governed by a circus um when but that, and there are times when, in, in recent times, I mean, we've had more prime ministers in the last two years than we have in the last 10. Um, mm. You know, I mean, that in itself is something of a circus, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and also, but but I, I also I think with even with, with Sunak, I mean, you know, he's got this sort of, he, he trades on being more serious than Truss and Johnson. But honestly, I don't think he's governing, you know, this whole this is sort of performative the whole thing is just performative the whole time but did you not feel that he was like the supply teacher that ended up being given the headship because uh <laughs> there was no election no there's no election well, he's not the people's choice he's the party's choice well he's not even that because they they were worried that if they went back to the party they'd get you know somebody trust mark too um, which they would, you know. I, I'll tell you, if there was a leadership election of the membership, Tory membership tomorrow, Suella Brabham's the prime minister. I'm telling you, I mean, utterly ridiculous, utterly absurd. 
Um, but we said Truss was absurd. We said Johnson was absurd. Um, so that's my point. And then what we have is like we have a media that even though it's gone from ridiculous, useless leader to the next, just covers them in exactly the same way. You know, every day, um, soon act to promise this. They never go back and look at the promises that were made. But the bit you don't see, right, because you and I have been raised through traditional journalism and traditional media and you, you still look to the front pages. I don't think people are. More people listen to your podcast than read those newspapers. You are arguably more persuasive and more powerful than those titles. Mm. Well, 60 million downloads. Yeah, but a lot of people are the same people doing it every day, every week. Um, and also... Look, but I'm you not... know full well in politics, the repetition of a message is so important. Oh, yeah. And repetition of information is so important. No, I agree with that. But my point is that why I still think... Look, there's no doubt podcasts um, are changing the media landscape. No doubt about that. I think news... I think this is where... Yeah. Good journalism can thrive in a way that it can't imprint anymore because the budget's just not there. Yeah, and also because the you know the advertising model of Google and Meta and those guys is just kind of is killing the newspapers and local newspapers in particular. But my point is that I still think that for a, a lot of the people, look, I know I know from the letters we get that a lot of the people who listen to us aren't listening to anything else political. Okay, so that does give you a kind of special role in their political development, if you like. But at the same time, within the broader political landscape, I still think television is very, very powerful. Mm. And my complaint with television has always been it treats our newspapers like they're some sort of independent arbiter of what's happening in the country and happening in the world. Whereas actually the bulk of our newspapers now are just propaganda rags. That's what they are. Um, because, we of, try- because of the political bias of their proprietors. Yeah, totally. Who are a bunch of, you know, very right wing, usually not paying tax, uh, often not British, um, with, 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 who use their commercial interests as, as part of their, their commercial arm and their p- political arm together. Now, that's happened down through time. But my point this is, is not new. This is not new at all. My point is that I thought the whole kind of internet revolution and now um, podcasting and artificial intelligence and all that stuff, I thought it would break that apart. Whereas, in fact, in a bizarre sort of way, it's consolidated it. You've got the old oligarchs who still have a lot of influence within debate. Then you've got the new oligarchs, like, you know, who are so ridiculous. I mean, Musk Musk and Zuckerberg talking about having a fight. I mean, at least Carnegie and these guys used to sort of build... How embarrassing was that? Do you, do you, are you, would you say that you agree with some of the stuff that Prince Harry has said about the, 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 the link between a broken media and a, and a broken government? And the fact that, you know, oh, we had that moment, didn't we, with the internet, which is the World West in so many ways because it's so unpoliced. Nobody got in there and structured it safely. Mm. And now it's kind of like, you know, the algorithms rule us, don't they? You can't be fed something that is outside of a view you've already shown an interest in. Your algorithms are narrow tunnels. I know. And that's why you've got to, that's why it's important to try to keep your mind open. And it's hard, it's hard. Um, But in in a digital world, you have to actively go and look for stuff that you don't agree with to make sure that the algorithms 
are a little bit healthier in terms of what's fed back to you, I think. Or you've got to try to limit what's fed. You either expand what's fed to you or you yeah. limit it. And you limit you limit its ability to influence you. We did um, we we talked on the podcast recently to the Israeli guy Yuval Noah Harari, mm. and I reminded of something he'd said in one of his books that he wrote some years ago now, and he said, "What is going to happen to us if we get to a stage where algorithms know us better than we know ourselves?" Mm-hmm. Now, he said that when he wrote that in 2016. He thought he was talking about something decades away. Yeah. It's happening now. Barack and, Obama and I, said that he felt that in a digital age, there is absolutely no fighting chance of a fair election. Yeah, well, I think that's right. Now, there've always been un, there's always been unfairness in political systems and in elections and what have you, but it's now got to a completely different level. I don't think that without... Who knows? You can't prove sort of counterfactuals, but... I don't think Brexit would have happened without the combination of our existing mainstream media structures, right-wing oligarchs influencing the broadcasters, and these new kids on the block, Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff. I don't think Trump would have become president without his ability to, to, to capture a certain demographic via the relentless messaging through social media and mm. his also... Using and I think that's what Barack Obama was saying, is that, you know, the, 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 the potency of an echo chamber created on an algorithm, you can't underestimate that because all you're doing mm. is compounding somebody's belief in something and not ever allowing them room to change their mind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Listen, I could talk to you about this stuff forever and a day, but I do have questions for you, Alistair, so can I dive in on my very first one? Okay. 
wanted to talk about unlikely friendships and partnerships that life has sent your way. Uh, because, you know, obviously we're talking to you in the midst of an incredibly successful period in your life. Um, where you sit alongside Rory Stewart, a man you were thrown together with off the back of an internet poll that you staged on your Instagram feed. And I wanted to know what value and what differences the oil and water friendships and partnerships in life have brought to your table and which are the most standout in terms of the oil and water relationships that you've um, kind of grown to love? Oh, Lord. I mean, it's hard if I... Right, so I'll tell you the first name that popped into my head when you're asking the question was Alan Clark. Right. Tory MP, Tory minister, major philanderer, great diarist, unbelievable gossip. (laughs) Very, very right-wing with some views that I would consider to be utterly beyond the pale. Now, what... Looking back, so he died a few years ago, and he died in one of those extraordinary situations. I remember David Davis, who's another Tory that I've, you know, I've been very friendly with at times. Um, I've gone off him since Brexit, I've got to say, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't let that get in the way. Um, but he, I remember he, no, God, it was another one. It was Nicholas Soames. Cause, ah. But when Alan Clark died... He just sort of died. And I remember Nick Soames saying he couldn't bear for people to see him in the way that he was when he was really, really ill. So he just turned to the wall and died. Um, and I and I just thought that was a brilliant observation because, and I can't quite work out whether actually the relationship that I had with Alan Clark, would I define that as a friendship? Because I was a journalist when I first got to know him. And I was on a left, a Labour-supporting newspaper, and he was a minister in a Tory government, and he was one of the few Tory ministers that would absolutely lay his hair down with me. <laughs> uh, so it became that's it was a transact, almost like a transactional relationship. But then, and then when I got in, when the, when we won the election, and I got into working in Downing Street, in a way, I think I fed his desire to know what was going on and. You know, he'd phone me up and he just wanted to gossip. <laughs> I would say that became a friendship of sorts. But I think in politics, it's, it's been really interesting, for example, how if I look at all the people I used to spend my time with in government and working in the Labour Party, some of the people that I maybe didn't expect to keep in touch with, I have. Right. Some of the people I thought I would have kept in touch with much more, I haven't. Mm. And maybe that's because the relationship that you 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 identify to yourself as a friendship because you're speaking a lot, working together a lot, agree a lot, helping each other a lot. But actually it's almost like again, it's a different form of transactional relationship. Mm. Need each other. Does it mean it's not important though? And it doesn't mean that it's not important at that time, does it? And that these that these relationships bring something to your table. You know, absolutely, and also, you know, I'm. I think one of the reasons I'm obsessed with sport, and why I think politicians don't take sport nearly seriously enough, not just in terms of its value to the country, um, but also in terms of what they can learn from it, is that whole thing about how you how you put 
teams with people who are thrown together. Um, I was, you know, my team, Burnley, I was watching, you know, the, the team that we've got this year, the, the start, the main sort of starting 11, it's, it's almost it's like transformed from what was there two years ago. Literally, it's a new team. Yeah. Um, now, on the, in the ground, you've got pretty much the same people. And they're transferring their affections to all of these people who are just getting to know each other. And then when, and I've, I've, I've you know, got friendships. Well, I've got good relationships with lots of players down the years. And I was talking to one of them at the weekend who, who left us a year ago. And he was saying, God, look at that team now. It's completely different. I don't know half of them. So he will he will he stay friends with those people who he lived with day in and day out? And it's the intensity of a teammate, which is exactly what you experienced in government as well. Yeah, and you're going absolutely. through really, really intense experiences together, making very difficult decisions. And if you care and you take that responsibility seriously, then that is very consuming. And and I and I. Thank and I think that the one thing that so many listeners have taken away from listening to you and Rory is that you both really care. You still really care. And I don't know that our politics has enough people in it that, that are driven by that agenda of caring rather than caring for themselves. Yeah, I think a lot of people in politics really do care. But I, think, mm. I, I, do, I do worry that some of the ones who've been very high profile in recent years have... They've given such a bad reputation for... I mean, honestly, I, I, I try not to go on about it too much, but Johnson did so much damage to our politics and still does, still does. The fact that Savannah Braverman is still in there is a powerful figure, is partly down to Johnson. The fact that Nadine Dorries has become a national figure <laughs> for not doing her job and getting away with it. And if Boris Johnson had never been prime minister, she'd have never got near a cabinet position. Not even close, and so he's done. And the lying, you know, I think I think that people have always said, "Oh, politicians are all the same." They all lie. People have said those things, but they're up. They're nonsense. Most politicians are not liars. Most politicians are not all the same. But Johnson gave people good reason to believe that because if you if you're such a liar and you get to the top, and you then you have the whole party machinery defending you, supporting you. No wonder people go, oh, they're all the same, you know? So, and I think that's why it's, you would know... You like, would, would you like to invite him on to the rest of his politics to discuss all of this and more? Yes, I would. I would, yeah. Would, I do would, you think he'd I ever would. do it? I mean, this is a man no. that hid from Piers Morgan in a fridge on telly. I don't think he would do it. I, I, I don't think he would do it. Um, but I'd love to talk to him about it in a serious way. Mm. I'd love to hear it. Well, and, and, and you know, and to cut through the bluster... I've seen the bluster all my life. I've seen the bluster when I was when we were both journalists. I've seen the bluster when I was working in Number Ten, and he was a journalist. I've seen the bluster. I'll never forget once when I was walking through. I was still working with Tony Blair. Nothing. I'd left working with Tony Blair, but I was for some reason I was in the House of Commons and I was wandering through, and um, Boris Johnson was sort of wandering through. He was the mayor at the time, and he sort of he did this whole thing of running up to me and going, oh, obviously, you know, I'm hearing all these rumours you're going to run for London Mayor, which is utter bullshit. Be marvellous thing to do, marvellous thing to do, wonderful thing to do. And it was a sort of weird 
combination of flattery, deception, mm. and that's what he's always been. And I think that I think some people saw through him early on, but a lot of people didn't. Mm. A lot of people still haven't. You know, you still hear people saying, "Oh, I wish we had Boris Johnson." I mean, you know, it's a dwindling band. But you, you know, the Reese Moggs of this world and Dean Dorries, the Pretty Patels, the. It's interesting, isn't it, with Rhys Mogg? Because his father is somebody that you go back to a lot in But What Can Mm. I Do? You actually have a huge amount of respect for Jacob Rhys Mogg's father and a lot of what he had to say. That doesn't extend down to his son, no? I don't know whether it's respect. I've got a lot of respect for his intelligence. I mean, he wrote this book that I write about in But What Can I Do? The Sovereign Individual, which is one of the cleverest books I've ever read in my life. This is his father, not Jacob Rhys Mogg, by the way, yeah. yeah, um, because he just predicts so much of what we're living with now. He doesn't, he doesn't call it social media. He doesn't call it – well, he does call it crypto. Uh, he doesn't call it artificial intelligence. He, but he's, I, we were having, I was having a discussion it's with like Stewart. Well, but it's worse than that. He's basically – it's not a prophet who's predicting. He's an activist who's saying this is the world we have to try to create. Oh, and he was for it. We, the rich people – we, the powerful, we need to get more rich and we need to get more powerful. And that means, basically, we've got to dis- destroy politics, destroy the nation state. And funnily enough, I was talking, Roy Stewart and I were talking to a guy for the podcast. It's coming out in a few weeks, next week, I think, about artificial intelligence. Mm. And he was, I don't think, he, I don't, we didn't talk about Reece, um, William Reese mogg but we, he was talking about his worry about artificial intelligence is going to break down the nation state. Um and of course, so yeah, I mean, look, I'd, far be it for me, I'm, I'm assuming that, that Jacob Rees-Mogg gets any royalties out of his dad's books now. So far be it for me to say people should read The Sovereign Individual. <laughs> but you want to know where the radical right is coming from, it's a truly astonishing book. Interesting. Can I talk to you about um, Rory and the other people that were contenders to become the oil to your water? Uh, it was a no from Dominic Cummins. It was muted that Nigel Farage should be uh, your foil. Would either of those have been anywhere near as good as what's transpired between you and Rory by way of a partnership? No, I don't think so. Um, I think the thing about... I think Cummings would have been interesting for the first six episodes because just to hear you two together. But then after that... I don't know. And Farage? I, th- I think that's He's right. A I think cartoon. We'd... Yeah, and I think with Dominic Cummings, it would have been... I don't think, we... I don't think we'd ever have got over talking about Brexit. <laughs> just just like a big and... broken record. <laughs> I see. And look, I, mean, I think people think I'm a bit of a broken record anyway, but I think that would have been tricky. Look, I think with Nigel Farage, Nigel Farage, he tried to get me to do his GB News show with him. Right. Um, and and I, we had a couple of conversations about it, but I, I didn't like the feel of that GB News at all from the word go. Why is that? Um, because I just when you when you dig into where the money's coming from and and all that stuff, I felt it was all that part of that radical right, the American billionaires and all that stuff. Um, but I've always felt about Farage. Listen, listen, I think the guy's done phenomenal damage to the country. Um, and is now doing phenomenal damage to the world by sort of 
playing into the whole climate nonsense that the radical right do. Um, but you can't deny that he's a, a very effective campaigner, a very effective communicator. And I think he and I might have had more interesting conversations. But I think the thing about than with Cummings. But I think the thing about Rory and I is that we've both got quite a lot of varied experience. And we've got quite a lot of continuing involvement in different spaces and different ways. Because you care. So, yeah, partly that, but also because we do interesting, different stuff. And, um, you know, um, I still get involved with a few leaders and governments and stuff. And Rory's doing his charity stuff and travels a lot. Do you still and, advise Mac um, Emmanuel Macron and uh, the Albanian Prime Minister? Um, the Albanian and one or two others... Yes, Macron less than I was. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and also the Albanian guy, Eddie Rama, he, he religiously listens to every episode. And also he's he's partly, and that's sends me a copy, but partly because he, does, he, he now does his own podcast, which is incredibly successful. Wow, that's smart. Yeah. That's the ultimate party political broadcast, isn't it? Well, what it it wouldn't it, well put it this way: if it was just a party political broadcast, it wouldn't be successful. The so reason he's challenged on it. Does, does, he how does it work? He gets people on, and he says to them, you know, one of the things we did in the back in the the second was it the second campaign? One of the campaigns. He's now won three elections, okay, and we've done a lot of the stuff that we did as New Labour, and he's a big kind of New Labour uh, sort of aficionado. And but one of the things we did, I think it was the second campaign, whereas we organised public meetings with people who, who wanted to criticise him, um, and we organised stuff where they they we 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 did a I remember one big event we did where it was like a almost like a party convention, but instead of having people beamed in who were saying I love you, you're amazing, waving a flag, you had people beamed in saying I think you're a liar. Uh, or people saying, uh, don't believe a word you say, you're all the same, you know, or all very well you swanning around the world saying blah, 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 what are you going to do about my bins? You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, he, and because he would roll with it, it was a very effective part of the campaign. Interesting. Interesting. And, and listens to every episode that you and Rory do. I mean, and you and Rory, I mean, the, the shorthand between you is delightful. Um, I love the way he handles you and the way you respond accordingly. Um, I think he knows he knows which levers to pull with you quite cleverly. Um, I can't believe that when you took to the Royal Albert Hall stage, you'd literally been in the same room five times before because everything's yeah. done remotely, right? He lives in, is it Jordan still he lives in? Well, he's moving back, but um, yeah, no, we've done very few together. But I don't know what you find. I find like, so you and I are doing this online now. I find that once you get to know somebody, in a way, I think this works almost better. I would agree. Yeah. And that's something that came out of lockdown. Rory and I have this thing, if we're interviewing somebody online, where we just point to each other for who the next question or <laughs> I want to... We, but we try not to interrupt each other. Because the one thing I've noticed listening to podcasts is that if there's chatter above people talking over each other or you can't work out who's speaking... I think it's really useful that Roy and I so clearly come from different backgrounds. 
Yeah, I mean, you do highlight his eating education a lot. I mean, probably as much as you highlight your views on Brexit. Let's be honest. I mean, it's not his fault, okay? It's not his fault. What what do you say when you think he handles me very well? What do you mean by that? I think that he knows how to widen a conversation with you. I think that you have become far less combative in your ex- your exchanges with him. And I think that that's filtered through to, to everything that, you know, you, we, we've talked about earlier, the fact that I think that you get into really nuanced conversation. And actually he's somebody that's a really good match for you, Alistair. He knows his stuff. And I think you mm. respect that. And I mm. think there's very few people that are as, as knowledgeable that could sit at a table with you and have this level of conversation. I think Cummings would have been somebody that could do that. I think Farage less so. I think you would have had him for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing, funny enough, last week, though, we talked about King Charles and whether he was worth his 45% pay rise. And actually, I might raise this. We're doing the podcast this afternoon. I think I might raise it because I got quite a lot of criticism for not coming back at him enough um, on on him saying that, you know, when you compare the cost of Buckingham Palace operation with other presidents around the world because he's mixing apples and pears because, you know, he's comparing with Macron and and Biden, not with, you know, uh, President Higgins in Ireland. Um, well, I might have a little dig about that. Do you like him? You, you like Rory? I do, yeah. I mean, would I go on holiday with him? Uh, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's genuinely interesting. Mm. Um... I find his blind spots really quite weird. I mean, I just don't understand how you can't be interested in sport. I just don't understand it. Uh, but I he's not. He... You've got to stop. He just yes, doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I know, but he gives a shit about most things. And, and, and you see, I, and I, I, going back to what I said earlier, I think you can learn so much from sport. And I think sport is so important. But he, so that's, there's that. I think we have this, yeah, I do like him. I think we have, um, He's he's a he's a he's a curious guy, and by which I mean he's 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 got a lot of curiosity about him, and I like curiosity. I'm I'm quite curious as well. I like I like to, and I, and I like different experiences. I think this thing came along at a time when I, I really was sort of thinking, you know, well, I, look, I have this existential thing going on all the time. You know, what I, I, there's never. Fiona was reminding me this morning. There's never been a period in my life when I hadn't thought I'm wasting my time. <laughs> And I'm and I'm I'm going through one of those at the moment. Are you? Yeah. Why do you think yeah. you're wasting your time? Because I always think I could be doing something more, and I always think I'm I'm, I'm not giving everything that I could be giving, and 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 it makes me very frustrated. Really, I I think you're you're quite exhaustive in your efforts. I always remember watching you strut around the newsroom floor, and I say strut because you had such urgency to you, Alistair. Always. And it was very impressive for a 19-year-old kind of journalism student to see. Um, you were the cock of the walk. Yeah, but it's sort of, you know, definitely, listen, most of the time when I was a journalist, for the first half of that career, I was just sort of on the road to kind of meltdown through drink and all that stuff. And then for the second part, frankly, until I, you know, jumped into the, onto the political side of the fence, I was constantly torn by the, with this thing. I mean, that was when I had it worse, actually, is that, you know, what am I doing in my life? This 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 doesn't sort of change the world. <laughs> and so, 
And so what I, what I enjoyed, the fun part of this, and like I'd say now with, I was watching that, um, uh, the, have, you, have you watched at Home with the Furies? No, but I've heard it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And I'm quite into boxing and all that. And we, you know, so, and, but there's one bit was, there's times, okay, now he, he's still a fighter, he's still going. Um, but he's, for a fighter, he's now kind of, I guess, my age, you know, he's, he's into his mid thirties. That's old. Right. And so there's this bit where he goes with his dad and a few of his kind of entourage, they go to the Isle of Man and they're doing a talk with all the fans. And I had a really kind of strong feeling from it. Cause I know whenever we've done, when Rory and I've done the Albert Hall or when we've done big events together and I feel really bad because I go on and I do it and I do, I do my best and I, you know, I get into it and it goes well and people enjoy it. And then I come off and it's like, and, and the team are all like really excited about it. And I'm just like, well, what's next? That was, you know, done that. What's next? And, and I'm on to the next thing. I don't, you can never enjoy the I'm moment. Not, no, not really. Whereas what was amazing about watching Tyson Fury is he came off stage and you could see he was just, it was almost like he'd won a fight. He was absolutely buzzing with it. And it's that sort of, adul- I don't know what it was, but adulation or whatever. And, and I've, I, don't, I, I just keep, I just don't get that. I've, I've never, you know, I think I said to you last time we spoke, when we won the election in 1997, I'll never, ever get really get over the fire. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> How could you not? How could you not? It was like, this is stressful. There's too much going on. There's too much noise. What the fuck do you want? I've got a job. <laughs> get out of my way <laughs> and, so, and and I think that the metaphor sort of you know metaphor in a way for the fact that I mean, if you, look Fiona said it this morning she said look you know maybe you just got to live with the fact you're never ever ever going to be happy about what you do yeah thank god you met her I mean thank god you uh, met her seriously because oh yeah she's uh she's been your one constant hasn't she across your adult life 21 weren't you when you met uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Straight out of the, straight out of the traineeship no, at the mirror. No, no. I think I think my life would be. I mean, who knows? But I think it would be a bit of a mess, to be absolutely frank. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah. Any other oil and water relationships that have added to your uh, experiences of life? Trying to. Uh... I mean, my friends in Scotland get really annoyed a bit. I've got some good relationships with people in the SNP. Um, I, I was, <clears throat> I was going to say that you know when I was a when I was a journalist, I'm trying to think if I had any friends on genuine friends on rival newspapers. I don't know. It's hard on that, isn't it? Because again, it's like where does the where does the relationship stop being transactional in other words i'm gonna get with him because i might need it one day when i arrive late on that doorstep or i arrive late Rory. um and do you think that where you are with rory is is transactional still or is it seeped into something more meaningful than that uh i think it's hard to tell i think it's hard to tell no i'd say i'd say definitely something more meaningful um because you know, the fact you're even asking me means that there's a sense of it. 
but also I think that you know, for example, he's he's had a couple of situations in his in his professional life or, or, or decisions he's had to make, which maybe he wanted to think through, and he phoned me up about them and said, you know, what do you think? How would you handle that? And so, so and I think that's that's a sense of you know a sort of mutual respect developing and mutual yeah. trust as well because you know you we do have to tell each other things about you know very occasionally i might be doing something that you know it's not that it's kind of guilt i've got guilt about it but for example the might let's just say there was a, a world leader that i worked with who doesn't want these people to know that i do that because it would be seen as being a bit weird that you got a foreigner to help him for example or yeah let's just say there are other parts of the world where it's more sensitive right right so i might say to rory look i'm in so and so but don't mention it <laughs> you get my drift i get your drift did you ever foresee a time that you would talk more about your relationship with rory stewart than you did with tony blair Oh, I, I don't think I do, though. I still think I get more about Tony when I'm out and about. <laughs> no, no, but it is definitely, yeah, I think it is. And I do find that very weird. I find that very weird. It's like, yeah. um, I mean, I get why people say, well, what people say about Tony, they say, do you still see Tony? People say to me, do you still see Tony Blair? What's he really like? I get that all the time, right? Yeah. And the answer is yes, and he's a good bloke. But I do get a lot, particularly like when we go to these events, you know, it's like something a bit kind of, bit weird about it <laughs> the Anton deck of audio just oh, saying oh, please <laughs> and that concludes part one of what will be a two-part conversation with Alistair Campbell because well frankly when you get unlimited time with the UK's number one podcaster and he's in the mood to talk you just keep recording I'll see you back here next Friday to pick up where we left off White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.